from the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger. I'm Mia Wagner. And I'm Michael Mikowski. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other experts to hear their thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the political and global changes that the situation has warranted. This is 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. As the global pandemic continues to raise questions about the future and stability of the job and internship market, 1050 Bascom is reaching out to successful political science grads to help us navigate these uncertain times. Today, we are excited to have Phoenix Rice Johnson on the pod, who majored in political science and international studies and graduated in 2016. We'll ask Phoenix for her insights into the Truman and Marshall Scholarship programs and about her professional pursuits between her undergrad years in Madison and Yale Law School, where she worked as a research associate in the Brennan Center for Justice and a writing and production internship at the White House. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Adam. We can start kind of broadly. Uh, what did your college experience look like and what did you think about when you were choosing uh, your majors of political science and international studies? Well, I'll admit that I didn't really have a super strong clue of what I wanted to do when I got to college. I'm originally from Hawaii and I didn't have any involvement in local politics or anything like that when I was in high school. The one thing I did was I was on the local school board as the student representative and I liked that a lot. It kind of was my first time having experience in any sort of meaningful leadership opportunity and I felt like I really found my voice doing that and adults listened to me and I had a background where I didn't always feel like I had much of a voice in a room and so my experience on the local school board made me think that I would be interested in political science. And I just tacked international studies on there because it seemed really important to double major at the time, which in retrospect is kind of funny because I don't think anyone has ever thought much about that. But I I determined that I really liked it and I always relied heavily on the advisors that um, were provided to me both through the honors program and through the political science department. And I liked how many options there were and how many classes there were within the poli-sci major. So that's sort of how I went about thinking about it. And I would say most of my education when it comes to learning about the political world was really mainly through real world experience. So as soon as I got to campus, I Googled University of Wisconsin student organizations and I saw that there was a college Democrats chapter. And like I said, I wasn't involved in politics in high school, but I subscribed to the Times Magazine and had always just felt um, felt like a hunger to kind of learn more about that topic. And so I started showing up to meetings and I got extremely involved in the College Democrats while I was on campus and learned so much about sort of local organizing and you know how to develop your own form of leadership and how to create buy-in from busy students. And so a lot of my experience came through that. And my experience with the College Democrats really shaped, I would say, my my larger experience on campus and who I ended up becoming friends with and things of that nature. 
Yeah, it's all definitely a super interesting backstory. And I'm sure it fed a lot into uh, what your professional narrative has kind of turned out to be. What has life looked like post-grad for you so far? So when I was a senior, I applied to work at the Brennan Center for Justice. I knew I wanted to work in voting rights, which was sort of a niche issue at the time. I think it's become a bit more um, popular, but I had worked in Wisconsin with the 2014 gubernatorial campaign on voter issues, essentially. So I was working with the Democratic Party and the um, DNC with a project um, called the Wisconsin Voter Expansion Project, where essentially we were trying to make sure voters had the necessary voter ID, and we were trying to make sure that there wasn't any sort of suppressive voting legislation passed in Wisconsin. And I knew that I cared about issues that affected low-income people, coming from a low-income household myself, but it was hard to pick one. And voting rights just seemed like one of the broadest issues you could work on because it was a way to allow and encourage low-income people to find their voice and to advocate for the issues they wanted to advocate for and to at least make their voices heard through their votes. And so in a way, by expanding the right to vote, you're sort of um, expanding all of those uh, voices and ensuring that issues affecting low-income people were sort of heightened by the very people who are affected by them, if that makes sense. Um, so I became really passionate about that. I wrote my senior thesis about it. I took a class with Barry Burden, which I really enjoyed. And there just wasn't a ton of, there weren't a lot of places that I ended up finding that seemed like they were doing super effective work on the topic, but the Brennan Center was one of them. And so it was kind of a shot in the dark and I applied just on their form, you know, application on their website. I didn't have really any sort of separate in and ended up getting interviewed and getting hired for the job. And I worked there for two years. Uh, my role was a program and research associate. Um, and it involved a bit of legal research, a bit of sort of legislative watchdog type research. So I would look out for any sort of bills that looked like they were voter suppression bills and raise those to the attorneys and try to shed light on them and write publications about them that would hopefully get lawmakers to notice and stop them. And then also a lot of administrative work and planning going away parties and things like that because I was a junior staff person and that kind of comes with the territory. And um, that was my main professional experience outside of college. That was in New York City, where I lived and worked for two years. And after that, I was sort of ready to be a student again. And I was craving that opportunity to get to invest in myself again, because as a working person, your goal a lot of times is just to make sure your boss and your organization look good and you don't get to be quite as selfish and just do the things that are going to make you feel good or make you feel enriched. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting to hear all the different avenues that you've taken since graduating. And I know when you're here at the university, you put a lot of time into applying and being a part of the Truman, Marshall, and Rhodes Scholars Programs. What kind of advice do you have for students who are applying for these prestigious programs? 
Absolutely. So just to clarify, I never actually did apply for the Rhodes Scholarship in part because I think they asked for like five letters of recommendation and I ended up applying for the Marshall about two years out of college and I just hadn't really kept in touch with professors to that degree. And also the University of Wisconsin, so many classes are really big, but the idea that you would have close relationships with five professors seemed a little outlandish. So I think that's something the road should work on is considering how people who go to really large universities are less likely to have intimate relationships with so many professors, but that's kind of an aside. Um, so in terms of the Truman, I really only applied because my roommate at the time was applying and she was talking about it. And when she was talking about the different essay prompts, I kept thinking of really I was like, oh, I have a story I'd love to share on that topic, or oh, I, I have something I want to say about that. So it was kind of a shot in the dark, and I applied, and I guess I'll back up a little bit and just say, I, you know, I really struggled when I got to college. I, my dad is, um, you know, an amazing parent and provided so much for me, and so did my mom. But like neither one of them was really involved in the academic world. My dad is a carpenter, and so, and I went to a high school that was pretty relaxed. Like school got out at 1.30, we didn't have school on Fridays. If you showed up, you got a good grade pretty much. So I really didn't know how to study. I wasn't accustomed to managing my time in an academic environment. And so my freshman year, I got pretty, initially I was getting pretty bad grades. I got like a C on every single one of my first midterms. And I remember calling my dad crying and just saying like, man, I really thought I was a hard worker and I was going to be cut out for this. Like my dream for my entire life was to go to college. Like it seemed semi impossible, especially when I looked at tuition costs, but it was just, I had always just really wanted to manifest that. And and so then to get to college and not to be doing very well, I really felt like I had kind of hit my ceiling, like hit my maximum potential. And it turned out I just wasn't really cut out for this after all. So I just wanted to share that because sometimes I feel like it seems like you have to be prepped and primed your whole life to be qualified for some of these programs. And it's really not the case. Um, and a lot of these scholarship programs want to see people who, you know, take know who they are and know how they want to affect the world and just have a a trajectory and a, a self-belief and an eagerness to help other people and that's enough sometimes so like i said i was applying for the truman scholarship with absolutely no expectation that i would be a good candidate when i got selected to be one of the people from the university of wisconsin whose application was submitted i was thrilled and surprised and I um, I was shocked when I became a finalist. Like I felt, I felt like I'd really slipped through the door, and I kind of made all these excuses in my head. Like I was like, oh, the only reason I'm even being considered is because they tend to pick one scholar from each state. I'm from Hawaii, and it's a small state. Like I was sort of making all of these excuses in my head as to why I was chosen. So, just wanted to be transparent that I was struggling with a lot of insecurity and uncertainty myself at the time. Um, but it's a scholarship dedicated toward people who are dedicated to a career in public service. And I have always been quite certain that that's what I wanted to do. And I'd never even considered wanting to work in the private sector. It just, just wasn't aligned with my values. I mostly care about 
impact and I'm most satisfied and happy when I can tell that I'm affecting other people. And so just selfishly, I knew I wanted to go into public service. And at the time, it was my junior year, you had to write about things you had done in the public service. And at that point, I had had so many experiences doing progressive organizing, different political work on campus that I had a lot to write about and it came really easily to me. And it was also my first time using my personal story in any sort of scholarship um, essay. Like I didn't really realize I had a unique story until I'd gotten to campus. So sorry, that was a bit meandering, but that was sort of a lot of the things that came into play when I applied for the Truman Scholarship. And when I got it, I remember just bursting into tears because it was so unexpected and it was kind of one of the first times where I felt like smart and legitimate, especially after I had such a tough start to college and really didn't think I was cut out for it to suddenly be selected for this national scholarship felt so remarkable just in the course of a few years to go from considering transferring to school that was less rigorous to being selected. And then for the Marshall, I applied for that after I graduated. I really didn't think it made sense for me to apply. I had, hadn't even really considered it in undergrad because I just wanted to get into the real world and start working. And the idea of going to another country and going to grad school just felt really removed from the issues I cared about. But after working at the Brennan Center, I, I really needed a break. Like I was feeling a little bit of burn, burnout and I was kind of getting to a point where I felt a little bit... Um, I guess out of touch with who I was and what I wanted to do in the world and how I could be most useful. Like I struggled at the Brennan Center um, just because so many of my peers had gone to private high schools and Ivy League universities. And I just kind of was struggling with that same sense of inferiority that I had struggled with in college. And I just needed to take a break and figure out what my values were and remind myself that as long as I was doing what I said I wanted to do, as long as I was taking steps to impact marginalized people, that was enough. I didn't need to be the smartest person in the room. I didn't need to be the most uh, impressive or elite person in the room. I just had to be sure that I was living my life in alignment with my values. And getting the Marshall and pursuing a public policy degree, which wasn't very rigorous at all, <laughs> gave me the, um, just gave me the space to do that in preparation for law school and sort of get my head on straight. I'm really glad you you were able to share like this whole story because I definitely feel like a lot of students uh, deal with like imposter syndrome and feelings of inadequacy. So uh, your story of like finding finding that in the face of all that is is awesome. Thank um, you. And I'm sorry. I guess I didn't was part of the question to answer what advice I might have for people interested in those? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. What would you, what would you tell people that are applying? Um, what are some strategies for success? Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I'm cautious to give any sort of hard and fast rules just because I know people apply with all sorts of different narratives and application strategies. So please take this as a suggestion or on one avenue of success. But for the Truman, I think uh, worry less about sounding just like perfect on paper. No need to put down that you want to be the president of the United States or to work in the UN, because the reality is that a lot of my peers who got the Truman Scholarship had really unique and potentially you could even call them like 
humble aspirations in terms of their their public service career like um one woman really cared about um you know older adults and enriching their lives and she loved to dance and she wanted to start a nonprofit or something along those lines teaching older adults dance and using that to sort of help them um just age with grace and things of that nature and so i don't think that's what people generally associate with a prestigious scholarship but um it's okay to just be true to who you are and have like a vision for public service that isn't becoming a senator uh, the other thing i'd say is it's a good idea to, to um, pick recommenders and pick anecdotes that are really coming from the heart like you should feel good about what you're writing about and not write what you think you should be writing about if that makes sense so when you're writing about something you should feel fired up about the topic you're writing about you shouldn't be googling like what are pressing public policy issues right now um, because that's going to come through in your application materials if you genuinely care about them and and then finally with recommenders i would suggest picking someone who knows you well in fact for one of my recommendations for um for the truman i had the executive director of the democratic party of wisconsin write my my uh letter of rec but it was kind of um it was a bit of like a form letter that he wrote me and i i mean obviously he did a good job but i thought you know this isn't really what um what they're going to want to see they want specific examples and things like that like they want to they want it to be believable they don't care that it's a fancy person who's writing the letter of rec and so i reached out to a peer just like another student from the university of wisconsin at eau claire to write a little anecdote about how i had brought different campuses together through my leadership in the college democrats of wisconsin and so like the bulk of that letter of rec was actually from another student. Now, obviously I don't recommend having just like your best friends write you letters of rec, but that's just to say, pick recommenders who know you and can speak to specific qualities and anecdotes rather than fancy professors or people who you think sound impressive on paper. Um, because I think some of the people who apply for scholarships who are just super perfect in every realm, um, maybe get overlooked for scholarships at times because the like the readers or the people who are um, considering them think they don't even really need the extra assistance if they're just so so perfect or don't kind of don't stray at all from the the typical path of success. In terms of the Marshall, um, I think the Marshall has kind of a different vision and mission than the Truman. The Truman is really focused on public service and maybe is a little more quirky and um, comfortable with different paths to success. The Marshall is a bit more focused on just like pure academic rigor and things like that. But uh, they also take on people you know, who are creative, who who are successful just in every single realm that you can imagine. So you don't have to be in stem or pursuing law or planning to be a doctor in order to reach out and apply for the marshal you can be a poet you can be um all any sort of creative person so yeah i really just think my main piece of advice is don't count yourself out always apply because even if it doesn't work out applying for things is a wonderful exercise and just figuring out who you are what your personal narrative is going to be 
that sounds a little bit cheap and bad to have a personal narrative, but it's actually a really good idea because it's going to come up time and time again when you're interviewing for things, when you're applying for things. If you want to apply for grad school, you're going to need a personal statement. And it's just a good idea to kind of work out what that is and how you want to present yourself. And it also helps you better understand who you are. My other piece of advice is let other people read your application materials and make sure they are just plain English. Don't try to sound smart on paper. It, what's going to make you seem smart is, you know, your ideas, maybe your recommendations, your grades. Let your written materials, like your personal statements and your short essays, be easily understandable. And um, don't be afraid to reach out for help to people like me, to the people in the Office of Undergraduate Awards. They have lots of examples of successful applications and you can look at those and get a sense of um, who has applied, who has done a good job. So just look into whatever resources you can to apply and start early. Don't let your um, insecurities or your uncertainty stand in the way of taking the next step and just making it happen. So there are a lot of, a lot more individual kind of in the weeds advice I could probably come up with, but there are a lot of people who can help you and don't be afraid to lean on others and just go for it. I think it's always a good idea to apply for things. And I got so many tiny scholarships here and there that just provided financial assistance. I think because people weren't even really applying to them and um, it's silly to count yourself out. It's, it's no real sweat off your back to just submit the same quick essay about who you are and, and hope, for, you know, hopefully it'll work out for the best. Yeah, I, that is all excellent advice. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to find it really, really helpful as they are applying uh, for these scholarships. But kind of turning now to a little different topic, uh, I kind of want to talk about uh, your experience with like gap years in quotation marks between like your undergrad and your, uh, your like law school time now. So like a lot of political science students have difficulty in visualizing what gap years between undergraduate and law school might look like. Can you offer some insights into how uh, you thought about carving a pathway through that and what your experience with that was? Sure. So first of all, I really encourage you, if it's possible for you to take some time off between undergrad and law school, if you're planning on law school, just because I've noticed that people who go straight through to law school tend to struggle with um, staying motivated and knowing who they are because you've just been a student for so long and haven't really had as much time to just mature and work through what you want to do with your future. But I also understand that it's really scary to try and get a first job out of undergrad. I had so much kind of support and so many shiny stars in my resume at that point, And I still applied for like 60 jobs and heard back from probably four. So what I'll add is you do not need to do something really impressive in your gap year in order to be a successful candidate for law school and i'm not sure about other programs so i'll mostly speak to law school but it may be true that this is true for other graduate programs a lot of my peers at yale law school which is like the number one law school in the country had very non-traditional paths and 
travel for a year or two. Obviously, I know that not everyone has the means to do that. I certainly didn't. But others, you know, worked at restaurants. Your what you choose to do professionally in those gap years matters less than just taking them and taking that time to really feel certain about what you want to do with your future because a lot of grad programs are extremely expensive they're demanding they can be really hard on your mental health and so it's just important to kind of give yourself some space between undergrad and grad school and and to feel sure about what you want to do in terms of finding things that can be productive and meaningful as gap years i I encourage people to be flexible and choose things that are going to give them meaningful and substantive experience. So something I've struggled with for quite a few years now is this spectrum between something prestigious but non-substantive on one hand and something substantive that no one has ever heard of on the other. So I have historically chosen the prestigious thing because due to my insecurities, I always felt like the prestigious thing was a safe bet and no one could scoff at me or no one would think I was dumb if I was working somewhere like, you know, the White House internship or something like that. But oftentimes in those roles, the place is so prestigious, so well-staffed, so well-resourced, they don't actually have that much for their interns or entry-level staff to do. And so if you can go and work for a small startup that really needs your help, or you can go and volunteer somewhere where you're going to be working with the person who founded the nonprofit, do that because you're going to get so much meaningful and substantive experience. You're going to have so much more to write about in a grad school application and to talk about in a grad school interview than if you were just sitting behind a computer sort of double checking an Excel spreadsheet because that truly is so much of what I've done. And people want me to talk about these sort of prestigious experiences I've had and tell them how cool they were, when in reality, I didn't do that much meaningful work. And there were times where I was genuinely scared because I just didn't have that much substantive work experience to draw on when I did have to do a substantive uh, project at work or something like that. Finally, in terms of finding post-employment, uh, or sorry, post undergrad employment. Something I didn't realize at the time of undergrad was uh, how important undergraduate internships are and just connections to the professional and outside world. I would focus less on student groups and way more on finding internships, finding, you know, if you can, paid employment part-time because the people who are going to be hiring are absolutely gonna to prefer to hire someone who they've already worked with, who they can guarantee is a pretty reliable candidate. And even people who have never met you are going to want to see that you have work experience. I think oftentimes having the perfect GPA or you know, getting comprehensive honors or being the president of the honor society in undergrad, it seems like those things are all going to help you find post undergrad employment, but the reality is that academic achievement don't, doesn't always translate to being a good employee, and employers know that. They want someone who can follow instructions, someone who can do boring, mundane tasks without getting crabby, and so finding that those opportunities and those windows in undergrad to get meaningful work experience is a really important aspect. Um, so th that's some of my advice. Do you have any other questions about gap years that I didn't really touch on? 
I think that you definitely covered it. That was definitely some really good information for people thinking about that. What has your experience with law school been like so far? Absolutely. So to be honest, I was sort of dreading law school because everyone who talks about law school talks about how it's just the most draining years of your life and tons of people come out of law school with alcohol problems because they don't have healthy coping mechanisms and it's so competitive and you're literally ranked next to all of your peers. So I was nervous because, you know, I don't always do well in those super high pressure environments or even if I'm doing well on paper, my mental health is struggling. So I picked Yale in part because their first semester, they don't have grades. It's pass-fail, but everyone calls it pass-pass because everybody passes. Um, And because it's just supposed to be a slightly more collegiate environment. And that's in part because the school is so, uh, you know, so highly ranked that, to be honest, like there is just sort of a buffer zone where you can be the very last person in your class and still count on some level of success in the real world. Uh, So I've been pleasantly surprised. I think the time I took off between undergrad and law school, I grew a lot as a person and figured out a lot more about what I want out of life. So the Marshall Scholarship, um, I spent a year in the UK. Typically the Marshall Scholarship lasts two years, but you can apply to be a one-year Marshall, and that's what I did. Um, But that year, I really spent figuring out how I was going to do law school, stay true to my values, and take care of my mental health so that I didn't have a negative association with the law from the get-go. And what I decided was, you know, after getting into such a prestigious law school, I wasn't going to push myself to do all these additional things within law school that didn't interest me, but that looked good on paper. So I decided I wasn't going to do the law journal. I wasn't going to try to get into the classes with the really fancy professors who can recommend you for the fanciest jobs or clerkships. I just knew that those things were going to present huge sources of stress to me if I, if I did them. And it wasn't worth it to me. And I knew that I wanted practical legal experience. I didn't want to be a professor. I don't want to be a researcher. I want to help individuals who are being negatively impacted, and I want to use the law to assist them. And so I knew that Yale had really wonderful clinics, and clinics are just essentially kind of classes that are practically oriented. So you are kind of like a mini lawyer, like you are a lawyer representing a client, and it's a real world experience, but you're just being overseen by a professor who is a licensed attorney who can make sure that you're doing everything correctly. So in my first year at Yale, I was part of a clinic representing an individual who had been incarcerated, had been released on parole, but then had been sent back um, due to parole violation. And, you know, through that experience, I was going to local prisons. I was working with a client who was struggling. I was dealing with the criminal legal system in the state of Connecticut. And it was just so meaningful to get that experience. And I had a professor who was really encouraging, who not only focused on sort of the academic side, but focused really on the human side of the law. And that's exactly what I wanted to get out of law school. And I was so grateful to have that experience because it really grounded me and reminded me of why I was there. So I lucked out between my own preparation and thinking about what I wanted to get out of law school and also just having good classes and good people in my first year, I really enjoyed my first year of law school. And so many people um, 
prior to law school told me like, oh, don't apply to law school, like don't become a lawyer. You know, I think it's a profession where there are a lot of unhappy people who really try to discourage you from pursuing it. But I am so grateful I'm, I'm pursuing what I am. And I know I don't want to go into corporate law because I don't want to work crazy hours and, or sorry, I don't want to work, you know, challenging hours. And, um, and so so far, law school has been good, and I'm really looking forward to the next semester, even though it's going to be largely remote, just like the end of my last semester was largely remote. I mean, that definitely presents unique challenges, but I've been in virtual court and things like that, and so I'm adjusting to it just like the rest of the world is. Yeah, definitely as someone that is kind of looking at law school and thinking about it, um, I definitely appreciate hearing all that as well. I'm sure it's definitely a challenge, especially at law or at Yale. So just with the time we have left, kind of thinking back to your time at the university, are there any classes or any activities that you wish you had participated in uh, while at the university that might have given you an experience that you have looked for in your post-grad life? That's a great question. I was very involved um, when I was on campus. I was a little like, probably too busy. <laughs> so I don't feel a lot of regret for missing out on things. I am, um, like I said, I was very involved with the College Democrats of Wisconsin. I actually actually got involved with the Associated Students of Madison. They had at the time a public defender through the student judiciary. And I was that role, which is kind of funny because now I work in the public defender's office as my summer internship. So there's some continuity there. Uh, I did a little bit of research assistant work for professors. I wrote a senior thesis. Um, so that was all really enriching in its own ways. And I feel like I, I got, a, I interned every single semester. I no longer have the energy or the levels of anxiety to sustain that type of work ethic. But I guess one of the, some of the most rewarding things I did on campus, I would say one, writing a senior thesis was so intimidating. Um, I, I had a professor, I wrote my uh, senior thesis with Professor Cannon, and he at the time was like, well, Phoenix, I see you don't have any quantitative experience or background, but really that's sort of what you need to have in order to write this type of thesis. So why don't you just go and sort of learn how to use Stata and come back to me after running these numbers. <laughs> so I was just in the poli-sci grad school lounge, like trying to figure out how to use this software. And it was so intimidating, but I ultimately figured it out. And I think those experiences where you're forced to learn something on your own, to come up with a work product that you really don't think you're capable of creating are wonderful experiences because going forward, now I know I can write like an 80 page thesis if I have to. Like that just felt so unmanageable at the time and it felt like so much writing and I ultimately got it done and now going forward for the rest of my life, that doesn't feel like some scary impossible achievement. And when I had to write my thesis for grad school, I knew that I could do it. Um, so that was really wonderful. And I guess I'd just say to, to challenge yourself and use undergrad to give yourself opportunities to grow and not to let fear hold you back. I was so concerned about maintaining a high GPA because I knew I wanted to go to law school. 
And I was so concerned with getting comprehensive honors that I ended up taking all these weird classes that I didn't care about because they fit all these requirements on my DARS. And in retrospect, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had just uh, foregone trying to meet all of these different, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, check all these boxes and instead just taking things I cared about because I really didn't retain that much from a lot of those classes that I didn't think I would be interested in. And I guess just l listen to your inner voice and don't let other people or uh, things that sound fancy but don't actually align with what you care about dictate what you do in undergrad. Yeah, that is excellent advice. And definitely as I'm entering my senior year, excellent advice for me as well <laughs> that I will definitely take to heart. Um, as we are just kind of out of time, I, I think one more question that we've been asking a lot of our guests is particularly pertinent, but how are you balancing or how are you managing your work-life balance right now? I don't know what your like typical day looks like if you're remote or not, but how are you kind of managing um, the work-life balance in this COVID era? Absolutely. So this summer I worked at the San Diego Public Defender's Office and I chose that office because I thought I was going to be going to court every day. They have a really good reputation for getting students into the courtroom talking to judges. And that was something I was nervous about and wanted to challenge myself to do. And of course, with COVID, that absolutely did not end up happening. So in terms of work-life balance, it's still something I struggle with. Like I'm definitely not a, a model for what to do. A lot of my peers in law school treat school like a nine to five and after five or 6 p.m. they don't touch their work. I'm just slow and I procrastinate and that's just not the way I roll. But I guess some pieces of advice I have, which are very concrete and actually things I learned from the University of Wisconsin where I took a group mindfulness meditation like therapy class because I was struggling with anxiety. So check those out. I bet the um, university still has those through the health department, but something that uh, kind of the therapist talked to us all about at the time was setting timers on projects. And then once your timer runs out, just get up and go and do that fun thing you were planning on doing. So if you have an essay that is freaking you out and causing you stress and you don't know how to do it, just set an hour. Don't let yourself do anything but work on that essay. And if all that means is rereading your essay, if all that means is, you know, indenting the paragraphs, that's fine. But don't beat yourself up when that hour is up and it's your time to be done. I think something I've really struggled with is just always feeling like I wasn't doing enough, always feeling like I should be studying more or working harder. And it's each hour you can pour into a project feel, makes you feel slightly less guilty about something. And pretty soon you have no work-life balance. Um, create those strict time boundaries if that's what it takes. And that's something I still do to this day. Other work-life balance pieces of advice are Investing in your mental health and your physical health and your relationships with family and friends actually contribute to your success in the long term. And so don't be afraid to prioritize those things. You don't always have to be um, professionally and academically so involved. It's okay to have periods of your life where your foot is really on the gas pedals and periods of your life where it's not. Like this summer for me, I knew I just wanted to prioritize being with my family um, spending time with my partner and things like that. And so I avoided an internship that I knew was going to be demanding where I'd be getting emails at 1am. I didn't want that. I wanted to take care of my mental health and feel prepared for the coming school year so that if I needed to, I could be really, you know, 
pushing myself during the academic year. So things are in cycles and, and um, yeah, close your laptop, put it under your bed, make sure you're not looking at screens before bed, take care of yourself. Like, I do think that there is kind of this unique millennial dilemma when it comes to kind of hustling or being on the grind where everyone's trying to start a startup or have some sort of blog on the side or a YouTube channel. And like, just think about where you're gonna be in 15 years and whether or not some of these projects that are causing you a lot of stress are going to be that life altering or going to get you where you want to be in life. Like, it's okay to just take care of yourself and prioritize being a happy and whole person. I imagine we have very similar experiences uh, with some of our classes uh, here at the university, but thank you so much for uh, joining us today and giving us this amazing wealth of advice that you have. Absolutely. Thanks so much. For more information regarding the podcast, please visit policy.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. For more information on the university's policies and responses to the pandemic, please visit covid19.wisc.edu. You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom COVID-19. Stay safe and take care of each other.